0: Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph. It's Saturday, October the 20X, and I'm going to do some baby shopping. I have realised that instead of having one, it's just easier to buy one, so we're going to go down to the mall and check out eBay. Bee. Ooh, jokes that will have to be scrubbed before the precious one reaches <laughs> the age of, uh, of reason, which, uh, in my case, I think will happen around 50. That's the goal, with your help. So I hope that you're doing very well. I wanted to have a chittle-chattle today in a good old-fashioned podcast-style rambling in the car, but without the visuals for people to complain about my dangerous driving and how, the moment I talk about public education, a yellow school bus flies by in the background. I have received these comments, and I'm sure they are accurate. But I think that it's really important for us Ah, sorry. (laughs) Let me not be overly pompous and annoying Let it happen in its own course without me getting behind it and pushing it. Um, I think it's very... I, I have found it very helpful for me, for me, to try and put myself in the empty shoes of others. And by others, I don't mean you, my precious people who, you know, feel free to donate this week. That would be nice. And to understand what occurs emotionally for people when you bring first principles into the conversation. And here, as in a lot, right, I, I rely on the great Rand, the amazing Rand, for this this issue of social metaphysics, where somebody embeds himself his his sense of reality and, and ethics and and most fundamentally this question of identity. Who am I, right? And when you begin to mess around with first principles, when with someone who has embedded himself mostly or almost inevitably unconsciously, but but sometimes consciously, but usually unconsciously, into the so the dominant social ideology, right? So someone sent me a post Written by uh, a 12-year-old, and this 12-year-old was talking about how heroic John McCain was um, because he was a prisoner of war and he was brave and and this and that and the other, and you know those are those are real kinds of heroes and and he escaped or he sorry when he was freed he he went back to do more bombing missions and you know that's this kind of, of hero that you don't see anymore and uh, whereas whereas poor uh, sad Obama Obama was a muslim he was registered as a muslim at the age of 6 go look it up right and and so on and again this poor 12 year old kid right is just embedded in this uh, mythology this this horror of, uh, of lies and manipulation or didn't make this stuff up himself he's just he's just surfing his parents bigotry like like we all have to you just have to be into sort of uh, it's like a monkey with kibble or a dog with kibble right if I say this, I get approval. If I say that, I get disapproval. Right? And this, of course, is how people navigate. This is how people's beliefs develop. It's like uh, water seeking the path, going down a mountainside, seeking the path of least resistance. I get praise for this belief. I get praised for mouthing these words, and I get attacked for mouthing these words, or usually for asking these questions. It has nothing to do with an analysis of the world. It has nothing to do with philosophy. It has nothing to do with even, even with belief, uh, it's just mere indoctrination. Right. It's it's as objective as uh, some kid in a Soviet brain farm uh, in nineteen sixty uh, going through the tenets of capitalism and uh, communism. Right. If I say workers should control of the means of production, I get a kibble. Uh, if I get if I say uh, um, property rights uh, seem to me essential human values, then I get a gulag. Right. And so th- this is all. It's just. Um, uh, you know, sticks and carrots. That's the way people's beliefs are created and molded. Now, what happens then is that this becomes their physics, the physics of their mind. This becomes their physics. I, I've always been fascinated by computer-generated physics. I, I remember uh, being really impressed with um, the graphics in Unreal Tournament when we used to play at uh, Caribou, and you know, there was a. CD and you would install the additional textures for certain graphics cards. I was like, wow, you got to this wall, it looks real, right? <laughs> and I just remember one woman, you know, quite sensibly saying, you know, that there's also great graphics outside the building. <laughs> if you just look at trees, they appear remarkably lifelike. She was right. I mean, it's <laughs> much more tactile. But I've always been fascinated with the simulation, and I think a lot of people are. It's one of the reasons why alternate worlds uh, in Dungeons and Dragons are... Uh, uh, even soap operas, but uh, video games. Alternate worlds are fascinating for people, down to the last detail. I remember uh, Steve Jobs talking about Pixar saying, you know, what was amazing to me is I'm standing in the room with a guy who spent most of his life studying how best to represent water on a leaf <laughs> using a computer, right? I mean, we are fascinated by alternate uh, or, or human manufactured worlds, manufactured landscapes, manufactured worlds. And I think the reason we are fascinated by these things is because we live in we live in them. I mean, we live in them when it comes to what we call uh, ethics, virtue, truth, uh, honor, goodness, uh, courage, and all these kinds of things. Right? We we live in this simulated universe. Right? Yeah. We live in this phys X. Right? X being cultural prejudice. So. So it's. I think it's important to understand that when you begin to to question, or to ask these these questions, obviously you bring up memories of explicit or implicit punishment on the part of of people, right? So they they were punished for uh, for questioning the the bigotries of those around them, and they were rewarded for mouthing them. And like all children, we try to find the path of least resistance where possible, right? Because we can't survive on our own and uh, we can be easily killed or at least we could have throughout history and a lot of children still fear that someone just posted about that on the board very interesting sad and terrifying but interesting so this becomes reality right? it was that old thing uh, it's a cool hand Luke uh, the, the, the drill sergeant or the, the prison guard I am reality uh, this, these beliefs become physics they become reality for people And it's really, really important for me, and I, I think for you, let me know if you find this helpful, it's really important to understand that we are dismantling reality for these people. If you've ever seen the movie Truman, The Truman Show, it is a, not a good ending, but a good a good movie, a good concept. Uh, this idea that we live in this simulated world, right? Cue the sun, it's a great line <laughs> in, the, in the movie. Um wish I could pull off a beret like Ed Harris. Oh, man, that's all I'd be wearing. Sorry for the image. So, people live in this simulated universe of bigotry, which they perceive as reality, as the truth. But, but at an unconscious level, they know that it's just fear-based conformity, right? That that which they call virtuous is, in fact, evil, because it was inflicted through the threat of... Of punishment or the withdrawal of affection for a child. right? I mean, religion is evil because it is tr- it is inflicted on children through brutality, I- explicit or implicit brutality. Uh, political addictions, patriotism, um, what what people call virtue, and this this is I mean, we, all, we we often see this as as fundamentalism, right, as as republicanism. But exactly the same thing is true uh, when it comes to uh, the left wing, or the Democrats, or whatever. I'm reading uh, Naomi Klein' book. I mean, she's a very successful author, which means that she's evil <laughs> in a very significant way, um, because she is successful. And I think it's important to to understand the mythologies that we're attacking, right? And and she has a mythology, right? And and the mythology is uh, that um, uh, the free market is fine for. Uh, ...the production and distribution of certain kinds of goods... Uh, ...but it needs to be heavily regulated and controlled by the virtue of the government... ...and there are certain human requirements that are so essential... ...like healthcare and education and security... Uh, ...in terms of unemployment and old age... ...that they need to be socialized and blah 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 blah, right? And, and she's going on this rampage against Milton Friedman... ...this book, uh, Disaster: uh, The Shock Doctrine, The Rise of Disaster Capitalism... ...basic thesis is that when disasters occur, this is used to spread free markets... Because we all noticed uh, how much markets were freed after 9/11, right. Remember remember all of that all of the they got rid of farm subsidies after 9/11? Oh wait, no, they didn't. nope, but they did cut wealth, no nope, no nope, they didn't oh wait, Milies, no, nope, they didn't cut military spending. but it's, it's, it's a uh, convenient fantasy, right that, that, uh, that uh, there are these people who want to rip the bread out of the mouths of the poor for the sake of oligarchical, powerful corporate interests and so on right. And so she gets mad at corporations, but of course everything that's bad that happens, is uh, done by the state. Anyway, I'll sort of done a, yeah, I'll do a more detailed review of that at some point. But, of course, her audience is people in the public sector. And it's important to remember that, you know, people who are in the public sector are like between a quarter and a third of the population in most, uh, most countries. And if you sort of put all those together who are dependent uh, to, to some or a large degree, you're talking half the population. So she's talking to people in the public sector. Uh, And she raises the specter of privatization, and they're terrified of privatization uh, because they're crap at what they do, right? Teachers uh, are terrified of privatization because they're shitty teachers, and they're entitled uh, to all of their perks and benefits and months off in the summer and so on. So when she says privatization is evil, they get it emotionally because they live in this fantasy universe where voluntarism is evil and coercion is virtue, right? And, of course, uh, the whole book is a studied uh, evasion of the gun in the room, right? What, you know, what's wrong with free education why would anybody not want to give children free education I mean <laughs> it's a ludicrous question and right? of course we'd want to give children free education and we'd also love to give them free ponies and <laughs> space rides and of course right but there is nothing in the world that is free right? and uh, there's nothing more expensive in the long run than that which is procured by violence okay. so this is the physics that people live in it's this physics, the physics of bigotry and to some this this fellow on the board was asking you know how should I respond to this uh, this post that this 12 year old boy wrote about John McCain and Obama and so on And it's a tough question it's a really tough question there's no easy answers. I mean of course you could do the basics right and you could say, well wait a second if bombing people because you following your principles is good then how is John McCain good and the 9/11 hijackers how are they evil? Help me, help me parse that one out. If you could be so very kind, right? He's obeying orders, and he's going in. And, and and what do you know about the causes of the Vietnam War, where the U.S. slaughtered millions of people by getting involved in what was essentially a civil war, civil conflict? Um, you know what? Uh, what was the purpose of it? Uh, what was the virtue of it? Why was he killing these people? Right? Why was he bombing and slaughtering and, and dropping Agent Orange on the farm crops and children of Vietnam? Well, what was what was virtuous about it? And how Frank? Oh, forget about that. I mean, I think it takes more courage to fight in the rice paddies than to bomb from ten thousand feet. That's just my. Of course, you get shot down, but um, it's. I'd rather be in the plane than on the ground. That's, you know, that's my. That's my basic contention. Uh, It's 50-odd thousand Americans killed, and two to three million Vietnamese killed. Uh, And uh, as far as airmen went, I think it was pretty uh, relatively safe. But, um, I mean, compared to being a Vietnamese. So it's just those basic questions. How is it that John McCain following orders and uh, slaughtering innocents is uh, virtuous and courageous and, and those who shot him down are evil or those who followed their ideals and their values uh, and acted with great courage. I mean, a suicide mission in some ways requires more courage than a mission where you are well protected by height and armor and intend to come back, right? But So you just ask those basic questions. Help me. And the kid will get all kinds of freaked out, right? Because it lifts the lid on so many things to ask those questions and you could also say well do you think that we should hold a six-year-old responsible for what his parents do right like if his father steals a car should the six-year-old go to jail right and the father be set free and of course the kid would say well no that's completely unjust it's like well then why would obama be responsible for being registered as a muslim when he was six which was a choice of his parents and certainly not his choice why would that be something that would be relevant to, to be discussed in the virtues and vices of presidential candidates and um, it's uh, is, uh, Islamic uh, evil, uh, which is, you know, I mean, obviously there's some, right? It's Islamic evil. Uh, in terms of body counts, right, have, have Christians killed more Muslims, say, uh, over the past 20, 30, 40 years? Or have Muslims killed more Christians? Which religious fundamentalism is the one that is really uh, violent and destructive in the world. Uh, because, of course, uh, all of the American leaders, uh, military and civil uh, political have been uh, Christians, right? So these kinds of questions are, are things which you can ask that kid, right? Now, the moment that you ask these questions of the kid, or of any adult, but we'll talk about the kid because this is where the um, the beliefs are, are forged or founded, right? When you ask these questions, what you're doing is you're you're, you're unraveling the universe that they live in. Right? you are. It's like you are breaking, like you are plucking into. Um, you are undoing their landscape. Like uh, it suddenly becomes a jigsaw puzzle, and you're starting to pull out pieces. <laughs> right, it's so important to understand what happens to people. They go through a semi-psychotic episode. I, and I, I mean, I, I'm trying not to be. Uh, I'm trying not to exaggerate here. It's very fundamental to understand. This is what happens to people. It is like you are suddenly plucking trees from their line of sight. It's like you are. Uh, flicking your finger and uh, dissolving houses—it's like their view. It's like you're—I mean, it's the Matrix metaphor, right? It's like you're suddenly pointing out that they're living in a fantasy. It's like you—you uh, you turn a switch and the sky changes color, and you throw another switch and the sky is replaced by static, right? It is that delusionary a universe that they live in, and the delusions are of course all their relationships. Right, their relationships with their family, with their church, with their government, uh, with their friends, uh, and with the truth and with virtue, and with uh, a nobility and courage. Heroism. Heroism is not conformity to bigotry. Heroism is not bombing innocent villagers with incendiary bombs because you're told to for uh, villagers who would never dream of harming you in feud state in America. Not like these people would. I don't know. Create big catapults from the rice paddies and then vault up from there. So you are unplugging their reality. Now, when somebody goes through that experience with regards to the physical world, right? When when somebody has what is called a psychotic break with reality, where they literally see demons uh, coming to to attack them, they, they they see all of these terrible things in the real world. Right, they they hallucinate. They have uh, terrifying uh, or ecstatic visions of reality of a reality that doesn't exist. Uh, that is called a psychotic break with reality, and it is about the most catastrophic event that can occur uh, in in your psychological makeup. Right, because it means that. Uh, you're not having a panic attack. You're not having an emotional breakdown. You're not having a neurotic. Incident, you're actually having a complete break with rea- break with reality. And this is when people kill people, right? And of course, this is why it's so involved in things like the military and the church. And this is where kill and rape, kill and rape children and women. And this is the church and the the state, right? A psychotic break with ethics. A psychotic break with relationships is what is actually being provoked when we start to talk about these basic issues. So, I th- I think it's a really essential to understand what is really occurring when we bring first principles to people. And I'll give you sort of a scenario that would be, I think, equivalent or, or analogous. Analogous? Analogous. And see if it makes, uh, makes sense to you. So, if you were a guy who was being pursued by a fellow a a, a criminal I don't know someone from the CIA or something like that and what he wanted to do was to inject you with a drug that would permanently give you psychotic delusions that would cause you to have this break with reality This, this is This is the scenario, right? There's some chase movie and the guy's got an injection. He wants to inject into your forehead a drug which will permanently disrupt and dismember your brain's ability to process sensual reality. And not only would it mess up your depth perception and it would mess up your ability to To navigate the world, the the sky would be replaced by static, trees would be replaced by people, people would be replaced by bushes, all randomly, all back and forth, right? Then, that would obviously be terrifying, and it would be permanent, right? And Maybe you could figure ways to master it or to figure it out or whatever, but your life would become managing this disruption in your perceptions, right? That would be a terrifying and, and horrifying thing to to experience, and you would do just about anything that you could to avoid being injected with such a terrifying and terrible and permanent drug for which there is no cure. So that's that's how it would work on the material side, on your relationships, though, or in your relationships. What it would do is, I don't know if you've ever seen those movies where... Oh, I think it was, uh, I think it was an old Conan movie with, with Schwarzenegger, where I think it was the first one. he's having sex with some hot girl, and then she turns into this wizened, screeching, gnarly, wrinkly, smelly witch or something like that. And um, That is an interesting analogy, or, or again, a comparison of, of how, how philosophy works in terms of your relationship relationships, that it turns everyone into a monster, right? That that everyone you love and treasure, if you get injected with this drug, will be replaced by someone uh, you know, hissing and fetid and mossy and evil, like a troll or something like that. And this may sound like an extreme analogy, but think of this—you know, poor twelve-year-old kid when he asks what the difference is between McCain bombing innocent villagers in Vietnam and 9-11 guys flying planes into innocent workers in the the, um, World Trade Center? Or why is Obama's registration at the age of six a Muslim something that he's accountable for, responsible for? And what is the implicit slur about Islam there, which is not also equivalent to a slur you would put against Christianity? Well, what would happen to the people in his life if he asked those very basic and very sensible uh, questions? Well, they would uh, would turn, you know, they would turn on him, right? (laughs) They would uh, attack him. They would uh, roll their eyes. They would, you know, and they might start off smilingly, but if he persisted despite their warnings or despite their opposition or despite their aggression, then they would eventually blow up at him and uh, it would be an unresolvable situation, right? It would be uh, he would be revealed as somebody who was controlled through moral bullying in the ugliest, ghastliest kind of kind of way, right? And and this would happen to uh, virtually everyone in his life, right? And there would be this this period where the the blinders are ripped off, and you see the moral nature of those around you, which is what First Principles does. Right? It rips off the skin and shows you the the soul, right? And uh, for most people, it's not a very pretty sight at all. It's a decidedly ugly sight. So your relationship with reality would be unhinged and everyone that you love would be turned into a monster who would attack you. Uh, This is... uh, This is how people unconsciously down in their gutty-gutty bottom-of-the-soul area view questions from first principle. Philosophy. And they're right to view it that way. I mean, those we frighten Those who who attack us, they understand more about the power of philosophy than we do, I would say, right? Because we're we're constantly surprised, right? Why should should someone react with such fear and hostility? All I'm doing is talking about ideas, but that's not true. What you're doing is you're attempting to wrestle them down as they perceive it and inject them with a venom that is going to turn reality into a kaleidoscope and all their friends and lovers and family and children, not children so much, but into monsters, right? And that's really only half the horror, fundamentally, right? That's half the horror. The, the other half of the horror, and that I think the most fundamental part of the horror, is that when you begin to bring first principles to people's lives, or when you even threaten to, to bring first principles to people's lives, what happens is... They look into the mirror and see a monster. Right. So, why would these kids, uh, the, the the parents or whoever is teaching these kids this, the, this twelve year old kid, this this you know horrible, bigoted patriotism? Why would they want to attack the kid so much if the kid dared to bring first principles into the conversation? Well, because, my friends. Because they would be revealed as monsters in first principles. Coming monsters, for for two things: for their own bigotries, obviously, for their own unthinking bigotries, and also for their infliction of those bigotries as moral truths on helpless, dependent, innocent, and innately virtuous children. Children are innately virtuous. In my opinion. That's why. That's why virtue, That's why virtuous arguments work so well on them. Children are innately virtuous innately consistent, let's say, and since UBB is the argument that consistency is virtue, uh, children are, their concept formation is all around, finding these consistencies, right? So, children are innately moral because morality is consistency, and children are innately consistent, and the whole concept formation of children and object constancy, and so on is around the development, uh, development of consistency and the link between language and object and all that kind of stuff. So, you would be revealed, uh, as the parent of this child, you would be revealed as yourself, a monster, a, a moral monster, a spreader of contagion and plague and vileness and, and destruction and uh, lies and, and slaughter and justifications for slaughter and murder and genocide. Right? Bombing innocent Vietnamese civilians who never aggressed against the United States is what we call heroic. Right? Slaughter is virtue side is goodness and this this um, this mask would be ripped off you as well as the parent right so half the horror is that the world becomes destabilized right and these these edifices that you you lean upon right the things like country right USA USA God family and all, all of these things which you think are, are real uh, more stable to you than gravity they are revealed as uh, non-existent right so reality fritters and shakes and fades into a kind of whirling terrifying static and everyone around you turns into a kind of monster Right, there's a terrifying existence right? A terrifying existence and it's incurable as you see as you see it right But all of that is external right You can still have in the Cartesian approach a stability of personality even in a chaos of experience but what really happens or what fundamentally happens is that you yourself become a monster to yourself you are revealed as a monster to, to yourself right. And the fact that that you have taken as, as beauty your symmetry with other monsters, right? You you have taken as integrity your participation in vile moral lies and your dissemination, your infliction of these vile moral lies on others. Well, the, the pa- conformity with patriotism is conformity with you know mad and evil moral lies. And you have taken as your virtue your symmetry with evil. That is your conformity to evil. So all of that is revealed to you should the the basic questions of first principles rise up. The, The beast within you that rages and rails against first principles will arise. Will arise. And... That is not something that people want to experience, right? They want to go through their whole life with these blinkers on, right? That's how they roll their dice. That's what they have gambled on, right? That's what they have gambled on, is that they can conform to these evil fantasies, these black mythologies, right, these blood-red stories, these tales clogged with bodies. That they have sided with this moral evil, this madness, and they have conformed to it, and, and they've, they've taken that chance. And I would say that throughout history, it's been a pretty good gamble, right? I mean, the first principles has not been around for quite a long time, right? Really since, I mean, in my opinion, since Socrates and Aristotle, Aristotle more. But first principles, reasoning from first principles, and, and and objectivism to some degree as well, right? But objectivism got all monstery as well. But it's been pretty safe to conform with evil because virtue has been so long absent from the stage, right? But, I mean, it's coming back, right? I mean, the atheists, uh, the, the Sam Harris and, and uh, Richard Dawkins uh, and uh, The Drinker, <laughs> he, they're bringing it back, right? Christopher Hitchens, and the, those unravelings are occurring. Um, we're working to bring back the question of objective ethics, right, and, and basic reality, and the non existence of concepts, right, which destroys the gods and countries and other sorts of fantasies, right? The co joining of concepts with objects, like virtues with individuals, with virtue with individuals within a family, right? Derived, right? Virtue doesn't exist antecedent or precedent to the family, and then the family is an expression of virtue always. Virtue is derived from the objective actions of people, and the concept family has no bearing on it, right? Any more than you can weigh the concept gravity. Spent the idea of money. So, the people who, you know, years ago, I mean, decided to make that choice to conform to first principles, to not ask questions. of genuine fear as children and we can all I think understand and sympathize with that fear Uh, they didn't count on what's happening now in the world right they they didn't count on the rise of the internet on the rise of uh, the re-rise of philosophy and and rationalism secularism and so on Uh, skepticism with regards to concepts and objectivism with regards to reality empirical reality that is uh, not something that people bargained on, right? So they kind of rolled the dice and came up snake eyes, right? Like, so for a thousand generations, you've been able to abuse your kids and then use guilt and manipulation to keep them around, if you have been that kind of parent, to keep them around when you get older. And so you roll the dice. You say, well, am I gonna treat my kids well? Why should I? It's very It provokes a lot of anxiety and, for, and fear in me to treat my kids well, because that's breaking the pattern, revealing the evils of my own parents and my own upbringing. So I'll just treat them like crap and then use manipulation, right? I mean, why, why save for your retirement when everyone wins the lottery? It's sort of pointless, right? and you not know, pleasure in the moment when you're going to get all the goodies later either way. But, again, uh, this uh, movement, which is not singular to us, but is uh, gaining some ground in psychology that, you know, the family can be as great a force for evil as it is for good and, and, and no unchosen positive obligations. Well, it's a bummer that you just happen to roll your dice when your family, your, your, your sort of family timeline Came up snake eyes, right? It's a bummer, right? And people get mad, right? Like they 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 bet on a box, a boxing match that's supposed to be fixed, supposed to be a sure thing, and they lose, they get really enraged, right? Because it was supposed to be fixed, right? So the rise of uh, the skepticism with regards to the virtue of the family and the existence of gods, and uh, the existence, as we say, of countries and the virtue of uh, government and the virtue of violence uh, in any, form, the virtue of the initiation of force in any context, the lack of respect for such concepts as the army and, and so on, uh, country, like a priest, family. I mean, that, that's that's a bummer for a lot of people, right? And they're going to fight it like crazy. Because if you've, if you've poured your whole life savings into a fight that's supposed to be fixed, and the guy who was supposed to win, who you've bet everything on, everything, and gone into debt over, when he doesn't win, you are completely enraged. You feel like you've been tricked. You feel like there's something fundamentally unfair and you're going to lash out, right? So I think to understand that first principles is the injection of a what people experience as a psychotic monster-generating self-monster generating delusion, uh, that's why... They fight us so hard, right? And, of course, the ambivalence and the torture they experience is that they claim first principles as the basis for their beliefs. But when real first principles come along, uh, boy, it just freaks the hell out of them. Anyway, I hope that that makes some sense so that you understand the power of the weapon that you're using and the need for gentleness and positivity in this sort of arena. And again, uh, if people aren't going to make it, if they just lash out to to exit and find more boon companions, is well worth it. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to your donations. Please, my friends, I will talk to you soon. Bye.